Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles, September 4th, 1852 edition, because we're in a time slip. I am speaking with two of the stars of the new, uh, what is that? I guess it's a documentary, the new series of In Search of, one of my favorite series. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me is star number one, Mr. Steve Parson. Well, star number two, actually, because I was only a supporting role to star number one. Yeah, but good good news. Incidentally, on the subject of time slips, um, you may or may not have seen the posting today that appeared on Facebook Memories that said on the 4th of September 2012, our guest on Ghost Chronicles International was Anne Winsper, who was going to be talking about time slips. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that back then. And it will be every four years from now and in the past. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of cool? That's one of those things that make you go, hmm. You know, it is coincidence, but it's so cool. It's not coincidence at all. It was carefully manufactured. Oh, that's what I love to hear. Anyways, uh, I know you guys haven't seen it on, in uh, the new In Search of in the UK yet, uh, even though I tried posting the, the link and you guys still, they still block you, which I found amazing in a World Wide Web. But uh, we've already had it. It came out uh, two weeks ago, I believe. So uh, I got to watch it and uh, I was... I was really, really surprised on how guy, how good that came out, uh, the whole series. Uh, but I have to do, before we get into it, I do have to tell you a funny part, because uh, whenever I stop doing things, I fall asleep. So I, I turned on the, the show, and I started watching the uh, first part, which is some guy had slipped back in the time, and it was his story. And then the, the next thing I know, I was at the kaleidoscope. And uh, I just happened to mention to my wife, who was watching me, I said, I wonder when Steve's going to be on. She says, oh, he was already on. I had uh, fallen asleep. So I had to go back and, and watch it again. So uh, was it a time slip or was it just? No, I just have that effect on people. What's that, Steve? I just have that effect on people. Uh, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, uh, of the two of you, I the toughest job, of course, because you had to spend all the time in the pub. It was, it was... It's hard, but someone's got to do it. Yeah, she took one for the team. Yeah. So, what, why that, that came about? Sorry, you broke up there, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, I'm having a little bit of a problem here. The, my computers are all booting and everything. Why don't you explain how that came about? Uh, I was contacted by a researcher who was asking about time slips and had read the information on the website, had seen that I'd done some talks about them and wanted to include something about the Bold Street in Liverpool time slips. Uh, with it being television, of course, they wanted 
flashy lights and beepy machines. So yeah. I immediately suggested Steve, who has a plethora of such things. So he joined in to do the measuring side of it while I just chatted about time slips and all the experiences people have had. But the, uh, the, the part is why you ended up in the pub, because you had talked to me a little bit about it prior to the show. <laughs> I can only hear about one in every three words you're saying at the moment. Allow, allow me to translate. What one, because I seem to have a better connection with him at the moment. Um, what what uh, Ron is asking is, how did it end up being shot in the pub? Because the weather was atrocious. It was snowing, it was gale force winds, it was about minus 20 outside. And I think they'd planned on doing the first bit in a pub anyway, because it was Britain. Apparently everyone lives in pubs, so they always do interviews <laughs> in pubs. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, as I recall, they, they did... Uh, the first interviews were secret, uh, were set uh, in the pub itself, weren't they? It was a sort of a head-to-head with you and Zach um, while I was off to one side, squeezed between two makeup la- ladies with a cup of uh, Starbucks. And I had the terrible job of staring into Zach's eyes for two hours. Again, I had to take one for the team. <laughs> so I think the most important... Uh, did he pick up the tab? Well, oh, I definitely. certainly didn't pay. So. Oh yeah, yeah, they picked up the tab. They were, in fact, in fact I have to say that uh, from our point of view, um, most of the time they were incredibly hospitable, and we Did we you? wanted for nothing. Well, that's that's good. Except perhaps an umbrella, but we ended up holding the crew umbrellas at one point. I recall. That's right. Well, they wanted standard umbrellas, so we used their umbrellas. They were very concerned for our health at the point where it became obvious I was about to slip into hypothermia. (laughs) Whilst I was left holding, as I recall, wasn't I left holding the director's rucksack? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I went from um, potential star of the show to bag boy. (laughs) That's about right. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do when you come over, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. But put, the, it, I mean, put together fire pits, printers, you know, whatever. Yeah, keep me busy. Yeah. So, uh, what we saw, I like, start as well for uh, for both of us that day because we had to be on location um, at before seven a.m., didn't we? We did. And if if you think about it, in our previous previous lives as gig goers, we probably would have been coming home at about that point rather than getting up early to go and sit in the pub. Uh, they were many, many years ago. But but we I mean, I travelled up the day before from West Wales and had spent the night uh, in a hotel uh, because obviously it was too far for me to come up in, in one leap. And um, I... Well, I, I was up at 4 a.m. in order to meet Anne so that we could travel into Liverpool together. Um, and then we had to be on location at, I think, 6.30, 6.45, if I recall yeah. correctly. Um, and already at that part of the day, uh, in the city centre, of course, we, did, we weren't dealing with quite so heavy snow that we had, you know, once you move away from the city. We, um, we were dealing with... Uh, Intermittent squalls of snow, but 
but spaced with that horrible wet stuff, that, that sleety, wet snow. Um, and it was very, very windy, very, very cold even then. And I think, uh, what time did Zach roll in? It was about an hour and a half after we'd done, after we'd arrived. Well, we didn't really see him much at the beginning because no. he was being pampered and made up and given food and hot drinks and treated like a star. Which, of course, he is. And um, our, our impressions of him at first were were a little different than how they ended the day, as I recall. Yes. Um, he, he seemed very much Hollywood royalty when he first swept in and we thought, oh, dear, somebody who doesn't talk to the plebs. But actually... Once we had the opportunity to chat to him, he's a nice bloke who's really interested in what he's saying. They, um, they, all throughout the day, um, obviously, um, I, I, I'm guessing it's just the way that they do things in Hollywood. Um, everything for, for Zach was done by handlers, and that's what they were called. They were called his handlers. And they they looked after his every woman need, and then he would uh, he would come in and he would do the shot, wouldn't he? And then he would um, he would just disappear. he would be handled off again. <laughs> yeah, he would vanish for for a considerable time whilst everything was reset for the next sequence or the next shots. Uh, things were moved around, and then he would um, arrive back, do the thing, do the shot, and disappear again. And um, it, it was rather colouring our judgment of him because on camera he was being uh, the, the TV star, um, star of the show. And uh, then as soon as it was cut, he, he disappeared. Um, there was no real so opportunity to interact with Zach socially um, until much, much later in the day. And, of course, that sort of uh, bloody star from Hollywood... Uh, <laughs> was going on from Anne and I, who would uh, at one point have been parked in a coffee shop, hadn't we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, um, they parked us in the coffee shop because it was so cold. They were very attentive to us. I mean, the crew were working very hard outside in the, in the uh, appalling weather conditions, and they did ensure that Anne and I were well looked after, that we were kept mostly warm and dry. we were kept alive till the end yeah. of the shoot. <laughs> yeah. We were kept mostly warm and alive and we if we wanted drinks, if we wanted coffee, there was no problems with that. So we were very well looked after. What I found it amusing was Oh, and for lunch, but we'll come on to lunch in a little while. But what I found amusing was when we were shooting outdoors in the city centre, um there was a long pause, and this is where I was bag boy, while uh, everybody on the crew was busy sticking uh, notices uh, that they'd printed out the day before onto all of the street furniture, warning people that there was a shoot in progress and that they may appear, and if they didn't want to appear on camera, then they should leave the area promptly and quickly. Um, Otherwise, that they, you know, otherwise, if they stayed, they were giving consent to appear in the documentary. So uh, that was that was quite interesting to see, uh, along with the passers-by and the drunks and the um, the living street furniture that kept coming up. Uh, in fact, walking past Zach on many, many, many occasions, not realising who he was. There were a few people who recognised him and got very yeah. excited. <laughs> Or really? Down, yeah, and did double takes. And um, there was one 
guy who I think he was a homeless guy. He was really he was really quite chatty and friendly, but he he appeared and then disappeared and reappeared and disappeared, and then eventually he came up to me and Did he time slipped. Uh, he wasn't a time slip. Okay. Uh, he, he came up to Anne and I and said, uh, "Isn't that the guy from from the telly?" Yeah. And then, uh, as word spread on social media, um, I think more and more people did start to appear. Um, uh, but the British are quite reserved. We we don't tend to rush up to people and say, "Oh, can I have your autograph?" Or, "Aren't you that guy off the telly?" Ah. Uh, but the the number of bystanders grew during the day. But I think we we were fortunate in the weather uh, because that that kept a lot of people at bay. We were very fortunate because I've been filmed about time slips on Bold Street before, and it was a beautifully sunny Saturday afternoon, and it was the most embarrassing experience of my life well, because that- everyone says telly cameras it's someone famous and you suddenly realize you're being watched by 200 people who are all trying to work out who on earth you are and, uh, <laughs> do, do you still sign as jane goldman not anymore <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a good experience on the whole but uh, i was surprised uh, you said it was snow because i thought you guys didn't really get snow out there um we do we probably don't get it as bad as over over there. Um, Do you have ploughs? No. Funnily enough, <laughs> I actually did see a snowplough on the M6 a couple of months ago, but it was in the middle of a heat wave. Well, that's the problem with Britain, you see. We get so, so, many, uh, so few snow days, uh, particularly on the West Coast, that in all reality... Uh, we don't have the infrastructure, or no need for the infrastructure to uh, to deal with it. So it takes re- you know very few flakes indeed to bring our you know to bring us to a standstill. Mm-hmm. So let's look back a little bit about the the time slip thing, which is what the show is about. Um, and an indifference from the first in search of with Leonard Nimoy uh, versus this one. It, Zach seems to be more hand on where. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was more uh, the presenter. Did you find that uh, when he was there, or you didn't see that in that portion of what you filmed? I think he is a lot more hands-on. It was just, I found it a little bit strange because obviously I've never taken part in a production with you know, people this famous before. <laughs> it's normally been B-list celebrities. Oh, come but, on, famous but, and famous. <laughs> exactly. Do work with Steve, but what, what I'd noticed the most was the fact that it is very scripted. They know exactly what they're going to do. They do not deviate from that. Whereas stuff I've taken part in before, there's always a bit of wiggle room for changing it or adding something in. You know, if you say something and they pick up, pick up on it, they'll say, oh, let's have a quick chat about that. Whereas this was very much more, presumably because they're flying around the world and they only have limited time in each place. They knew exactly what they wanted to do and that's what they were doing, no deviation. Unless they're a Japanese film crew who can't deviate um, if their lives depended on it. <laughs> even if they're in the wrong place. We get them yeah. too. Yeah. Even if they go to the wrong place, they still can't figure out what to do next. 
No, there's no. Uh, yeah, there was. Just don't have a drive with a Japanese film crew. <laughs> we have done though, haven't we? On other occasions. It's like taking your life in your hand. Well, yeah, we survived. But uh, actually, in 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 because Zach was also the executive uh, producer of the program. Um, he did, uh, as I recall, in the afternoon, didn't he? He wanted to bring you in on a part of it. Yes. To, to add some comments to uh, the sequence I'd filmed. Um, and, and I do recall at that time, uh, Zach talking to the director and uh, saying, oh, we need to bring Anne in, uh, because Anne had just uttered in a, in a voice clearly loud enough to be heard, rubbish! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what yeah. was that in regard to? Uh, oh, Steve was explaining it all the way. <laughs> yeah. I was doing oh, a job that parapsychologists should have done. <laughs> but you know how gullible and believing these parapsychologists, modern generation of parapsychologists are. It's all paranormal. I keep telling you I'm not a parapsychologist. I'm a psychical phenomenologist. It gives me far more pleasure because nobody can pronounce it. Yeah, but you are a member of the Parapsychological Association. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're a parapsychologist. So let me, let me ask you this, and, and I was going to post it on Facebook, but I didn't have a chance. I can't believe the number of parapsychologists in the world. It, it, they're all over Facebook. Yeah, that's because most of them have got um, little pieces of paper printed out from the Internet saying that they've done a course and paid 50p for the privilege yeah, well looking at you steve mera and robert young <laughs> <laughs> does, does that irk you guys yes doesn't irk me because it doesn't irk you because because i'm not one you're um, not <laughs> and, and also importantly and significantly um you know we deal with uh, it's an area where um, in fact, the term itself, parapsychology, predates parapsychology, which is interesting, uh, because uh, the academic pursuit of parapsychology is really the, the uh, baby of um, J.B. Ryan and the Ryan Institute uh, in, in uh, Durham, North Carolina in the 1920s. Uh, but the, the actual term and the, the uh, use of the word much predates that. Um, and was, it was often used in connection with, for example, by Harry Price, often used in connection with ghost hunting. Um, and it still is predominantly in America. There are the, there were more American ghost hunters who use the word parapsychologist to describe what they do when they actually mean ghost investigator. Over here, we have... That's because it, it gives them some credibility. Uh, yes, but it's also a historical term, so the, the, it isn't that inaccurate. You know, it does date back to, I think, the, the 19th century. Um, but in terms of the modern usage, particularly those two names, that I, I may have uttered out aloud before, um, Anne, uh, Cal, and others are perfectly correct. In, you know, they've worked for a very long time and very hard to gain these qualifications, which are in psychology. Um, and then they they uh, are in because they're also members of the parapsychological association that gives them a degree of entitlement uh, but there are people out there who go on different courses um, courses that cost from a 
you know, a couple of hundred dollars uh, can be done in a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And they use the same title. Um, and it causes confusion for uh, the public, for the broadcasters, because they don't, they don't readily know the difference. It sounds like an academic um, professional qualification in reality. There isn't a professional qualification of parapsychologist, I believe. I'm waiting for Anne to go, Robin. No, no, not that I'm aware of, no. <laughs> See, parapsychologists make it up. Absolutely. <laughs> Damn, you found our secret. Oh, no, Anne, and, and you know we discovered their secret many years ago. <laughs> yes, quite right. <laughs> in fact, it's to parapsychologists that we owe, um, in fact, yeah, we owe what we've been up to for the last 15 years um, in terms of qualifications and output uh, because I think it's a story that you, you may have heard that Anne and I went to a conference in Liverpool run and organised by parapsychologists because some of the things in it were interesting and um, actually do you want to take over Anne? <laughs> <laughs> well for me it was that moment I think it was during the break or afterwards when they all formed a little circle of parapsychologists to have a chat um, with us on the outside of that circle, never to be allowed in because we were mere ghost hunters and not worthy of being allowed to join in with their conversations. But, but Anne, aren't you really a parapsychologist? Don't you have a, uh, several degrees? She is oh. absolutely a parapsychologist by every so, by by every standard and definition. So why were you left out of this little circle? Because I didn't have any of the qualifications then. I was oh, a I mere ghost hunter in the music commons. Excuse me. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, after lunch, we we uh, we put our heads together and we we came up with a plan. <laughs> And very cunning it was too. We figured out that if if they wouldn't speak to us because we were just ghost hunters, then we would go away and gain uh, qualifications uh, that they would respect and uh, listen to, even though they were they were they were from our perspective, from what we were doing and what we were interested in, meaningless qualifications. But nonetheless, we would get these bits of paper through recognised universities and courses. And then perhaps they might actually take notice of us and listen to us. Really? Um, and so a plan was hatched that afternoon uh, and it was implemented shortly afterwards. And uh, the outcome is as you see it today. Um, you know, we have a, uh, in Anne, a fully qualified by every um, measure a parapsychologist. And I'm still a ghost hunter. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm very happy to be a ghost hunter, um, but I, but now they do take notice of us and they do listen to us and they do treat us with. Um, I was going to say as equals, they don't treat me as an equal, uh, but they do they do listen to what we say and they do take notice of things that we do. So we did achieve what we set out to do 15 years ago, um, and I think. You know, it's what I've said all along. Amateur investigators let themselves down very, very badly by not upping their game. Um, you know, we've been in this situation for a long time where parapsychology has predominated within 
the main organisations here in the UK, the Society for Psychical Research in the US, of course, the PA and the Parapsychological Foundation, the PF. Uh, and ghost hunters, well, I mean, you've seen the results. They are they are their own worst enemy. They have become um, a self-fulfilling, they, they were considered care in the community branch of uh, psychical research, and they have, in fact, become the care in the community branch of psychical research. Uh, cast aside by the academics and, and scorned by the academics. But that wasn't the situation in the 1980s and the 1990s. It was a very different situation back then, when there was a lot of cooperation between the amateur investigators and the academics, much as exists in other branches of, of science. But uh, that's a whole new story, a whole different yeah. story. The, pro- the problem is that if you're going to be an academic, you need to be funded and you need to keep your job. And you're never, ever going to do that if you're caught hanging around with ghost hunters. So you have to distance yourself if you're in that position. Hence the reason why I have no intention whatsoever of going into academia. Although, to be fair, I would. You know, as a ghost hunter, there are many ghost hunters I would like to distance myself. <laughs> In fact, isn't this a topic? I, I saw you're doing a talk, um, uh, soon to be Dr. Winsper, um, in the in the fall, because uh, we've got to talk like Americans on this show, um, entitled The Rise and Fall of Ghost Hunting. Indeed. Uh, is that... Along these similar lines, I mean, have you noticed a rise and fall in ghost hunting? Absolutely. <laughs> um, th- I think the heyday of the ghost hunter is past well and truly at the moment because people are not ghost hunting. They are having spooky nights out for entertainment purposes with no real idea what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what relevance it has, and they're calling it ghost hunting. Mm. So that's what people see, so everyone's tarred with the same brush. It's a bit of a laugh, it's a bit of a spooky night, and everyone's going out looking for orbs as proof. And it's not research. No, and the irritating thing is they're actually going round the same hamster wheel uh, that you know that was happening 15 years ago. The orb is now a new phenomena that is being yeah. rediscovered by these investigators who have. We've got a new a new genre of paranormal celebrities who are actually starting to replace the TV celebrities, and these are the Facebook and the the social media celebrities where they're commanding you know, huge viewing numbers for their Facebook Live investigations or for their YouTube investigations. Um, and that they are so, uh, influential celebrities in their own right now, but uh, they are they are uh, discussing topics that that should have been and were put to bed fifteen years ago and fifteen years before that and fifteen years before that. This cycle seems to be sort of never ending. Well, I take a break. So anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Pass and Ron Colt and our very special guest, Anne Winsper, parapsychologist. We'll be right back after following messages here on Tojinet and Starrex Radio.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Hi, Steve Parsons here looking for sea monsters in Tembe, West Wales. And I'll be over in New England looking for your sea monsters this coming fall. Join me, Ron Kolek, and a host of others at Spirit Quest 2018. We'll see you there. Ghost Chronicles International. Um, I'm not in Tembe, West Wales tonight looking for sea monsters, oddly enough, um, because it's cold. Oh, <laughs> baby. I thought you got rid of that trailer. That was done for the next generation. No, Why is no, it on? I'm staying on there until after the spirit question. Oh, God, have I got to keep listening to it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Uh, our special uh, guest tonight is Dr. Soon to be Dr. Anne Winsper, um, parapsychologist and colleague from Parascience, and recent uh, star of In Search of episode five, In Search of Time Travel, um, starring alongside Zachary Quinto and his lovely eyes. So I have a, actually a, a couple of questions. The, the first one is: it, it appeared to me that they did a psychological experiment during the show and I wasn't I don't know if Dan or you were aware of it um, I'm not involve, sure did this involve giving giving members of the crew hypothermia no not that that was that was added bonus um, what, what they did is they put notice is the part where Zach gets involved is they put a, a set of goggles on him, and then they flashed a series of pictures in front of him. And then he had to recall what those uh, pictures were. And uh, so he, he got a certain number right. And then um, and they brought him up in an airplane and pushed him out of the airplane and did the same thing to him. So, and he was able to remember, I believe, all of the images that flashed while he was falling versus the ones that he uh, remembered when he was standing. So have you ever heard of that, Anne? Yes. Uh, it was actually on, uh, I think it was on Horizon, which is a science program over here in the UK. It was quite a few years ago now, but they did the same thing. I don't think they actually pushed someone out of a plane. They just had him bungee jumping. But yes, it was exactly the same thing. Um, I think they were using numbers rather than pictures for that one. But yes, you seem to be able to recall more if you feel you're in mortal danger. 
hence the reason why people say car crashes and things, everything went into slow motion. Oh, that's that's intriguing. Um, so he pushed this to in ghost sentence. So we just scare the crap out of the people and they remember more. Uh, it all depends. Um, you can you can push them the other way so they don't remember anything at all. <laughs> so you can't just scare someone to death and hope it'll work. And there's ethical implications as well. Although we have tried it, haven't we, Steve? Um, oh, we've uh, yeah. I mean, this was in the days before Anne was an academic bound by the restrictions of <laughs> codes of ethics. Um, exactly. Damn ethics. I know. Uh, I don't have to submit anything to an ethics committee. I can just continue as we used to do in the past electrocuting people inserting things into them sticking things to them tormenting the members of our team endlessly mm -hmm. it's a I lot do that normally by the way yeah it's a lot more fun i i honestly don't know why anybody would want to be an academic other than the famous line from the ghostbusters movie i like universities they give us resources and yeah. money and we don't have to produce anything <laughs> so yes, that only applies to some people, though, doesn't it, Steve? <laughs> not most of Northampton. I was thinking more of someone who used to be up here. Well, a few people who used to be up here, actually. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, they. they you, you know what's really odd? We're doing Spirit Quest this year. We always uh, do a public ghost hunt as part of it, and. This year is theme in search of, which Steve and I came up with a year, the new program coming out before you guys were on it. And uh, anyways, on the ghost out, I did a little bit of research and I came up with a quote from some gentleman who said it's not uh, uh, fear that that uh, attract. Uh, oh, I forget what the exact quote is. I now nah, it's not the fall that kills you; it's a sudden stop. Yeah, pretty much, whatever. And, and the, the the whole the whole uh, gist of the new ghost hunt is in search of fear, which we, we put you uncomfortable. So, and then they came up with this this whole thing on the in search of you were on, which I had never heard of, and it's pretty much in that same mold. So that's a more synchronicity for you guys. Well, it's only synchronicity if you make something of it. Um, I mean, I didn't create the title In Search Of out of the blue. It had already existed with Nimoy. And, of course, don't forget Mitch Pelegi's series as well. Mm. He also... And I, I'm a great fan of Mitch Pelegi, so um, I, I, I quite like his style of presentation. Uh, mm. Or maybe yes, back in the good back in the good old days of the X Files before it went a bit yeah. rubbish. Or, or maybe it's just yeah. a, you know I have a natural affinity to bald men with beards these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to know about your personal life. There you go. I said an affinity. <laughs> I was very careful about my words because I know there's a parapsychologist on the channel. <laughs> But actually, coming back to parapsychologists a minute, Anne and I have become a very, very adept at dealing with parapsychologists in the broadcasting sense, because we've actually worked with uh, many of uh, many parapsychologists um, in front of camera. And of course, what we find is that we have to fight our corner um, and we have to sort of stand up for ourselves and we have to put our points across. Um, against, you know, shouts of rubbish from the far side. And 
you know, down the years, we have dealt with uh, some of the leading lights, Dr. Kieran O'Keefe and Dr. Cal Cooper, um, have fallen victim to Anne and I uh, um, <laughs> on various shoots. Um, and it's something that I think we've, we, we actually, we don't do very much media um, anymore. Um, I think that's mostly out of choice. And also because the, the landscape has changed, uh, whereas in the past there was there was a relatively small pool for um, uh, directors and producers to choose from. I mean, here in the UK currently, we have an in excess of 900 paranormal teams. And in the US, that figure is around about 2,700 paranormal teams, many of whom would, you know, if they haven't already got their own YouTube channel to the to be given the opportunity to appear on something like In Search Of, they would actually have paid for the privilege. Um, and so we don't do very much media, but we, uh, as we demonstrated back in February, I think we still got the touch. Yeah, absolutely, I would have to say. So um, you guys have done a lot of research on, on uh, time slips, and uh, especially Anne. And uh, you've had some experience as well. We, we talked about them before. Uh, in 2012, when you were on the same show on the same date at the same time. <laughs> and uh, you die on me. But anyways, um, you see so many, it's speaking about YouTube and, and so forth. You see so many pieces of video of people that have showed up in supposedly the past. What, what are your your thoughts on it are they is it all rubbish or, or is there any uh, validity to any of this oh the pictures of people who look like modern the most, day the most famous are. being you know the, the charlie chaplin one where the looks like she's doing a cell phone and uh you know, they have other ones from Egypt and so forth. I don't know if you have seen them yet. I, 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 I've seen quite a few of them. I've not okay. really been convinced by any of them. Right. So what would, um, it, take, what would it take you to convince you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Is that question again? <laughs> Careful. Because <laughs> you're a parapsychologist well, now. I wouldn't be seeing it with my own eyes. That is not true. <laughs> mm. We well, we need something that's properly documented, um, witnessed, recorded. To be honest, I don't think we're ever going to get the evidence we need for this kind of thing. We've had nothing yet. We've been looking at things like time slips for years. The holy grail for us was always, can we get CCTV, one of these happening? And we never have, or when people see people from the past and interact with them, can we find a record from the past of someone interacting with what they describe as someone in the future? And we oh, still that, haven't found any of that. And, and surprisingly as well, um, you know, now that most people carry smartphones with cameras, we haven't had a photograph from the past, at least a, a compelling one. We've had them from the future. And there was that notable uh, one from um, the Gettysburg Address by Lincoln, which was claimed as a time slip photograph. But right. given that most people now carry smartphones with cameras, it wouldn't be uh, you know, a great stretch. I mean, certainly if, if, it, if I was experiencing such an unusual scene, as the witnesses describe, one of the th first things I might consider doing was pulling out the, the smartphone and taking a picture. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, true. So true. But we don't get that. I, you know, and other oddities of our natural world, like that meteorite in Russia, and um, you know, other sort of one-off weird happenings. One of the great frustrations for for Anne and I when we were invest or when we uh, have talked to witnesses of investigation uh, of hauntings, and they tell us things like, "Oh yeah, well, every night or every Wednesday at eight o'clock, the ghost walks right across the living room while we're watching television." And, uh, well, we used to say to them, one of the questions we asked them is, do you have a video camera or a camera? Yeah. Have you ever thought of taking a picture? No. It never seemed to occur to any of these people. Um, so, of course, when we arrived with our cameras, it stopped. We were like exorcists. Camera shine, so. And we were, we, at one point, we, we did consider rebranding ourselves as exorcists because our mere presence... <laughs> You know, families who claimed that they hadn't hadn't had a peaceful night's sleep for three months. Um, you know, the mere presence of Anne and I and some of the team sitting downstairs would guarantee a quiet night. But you've uh, had experiences. You've had things that you were unable to explain. Is it that far of a leap to, to believe some of these witnesses that what they're experiencing is real as well? I don't disbelieve the witnesses. They tell me something and I take it at face value. What I'm trying to do is find out exactly what did happen and why, what caused it, what's happened. And that's something that we really struggle with because we're not there when it happens. I don't ever hear a witness and say, well, they're obviously talking rubbish. I believe every single one. But we have to find out exactly what that experience was. I was going to say, oh, I just I put a rider on that, actually. There was the case of that man that phoned up who said that his wife had been impregnated by aliens. Yeah, OK. <laughs> I believe most of what people say. I didn't believe the UFOs in the tree either, but there you go. No, no. <laughs> uh, but you have to tell I me... Mean, yeah have to take the witness at face value initially and then work from that piece of information that you've got and try and try and test it. You're not challenging it. You're not trying to debunk it. What you've got to try and do is understand more. You know, could they have seen what they've seen from that point of view? Um, what else might have happened? Is there something within the environment? And in fact, that we, we almost, we used to make it um, one of our golden rules of investigating is that we never, gave a diagnosis or an opinion exactly uh, very early except on as i recall one occasion and i know Anne will know immediately if i simply say the door viewer <laughs> uh, there was a, a very disturbed uh, uh, a very disturbed client and i'm going to refer defer to Anne to finish the story in a minute whom we did on that one occasion decide because she was so disturbed by the experiences that uh, as the explanation was so apparent that we should reveal all on that one single visit. Yes, the the poor lady, I'm thinking back, it must be 20 years ago when we did this case. She had a defect with her eyesight and she also had a door viewer that had some dirt in between the layers of glass and that combined with where the light on the hall outside was to all intents and purposes was in the shape of a human head um upon which with things that had happened in her personal life plus her 
not quite perfect eyesight, uh, she combined together to say it was her dead husband in the hall and could see exactly how it was caused because you could see a human figure looking through the eyeglass. But it wasn't spooky. It was just a combination of bad eyesight, a light in the right position and dirt in the spyglass in the door. I remember going up to the door viewer um, after the lady had explained what what she was seeing and um, how disturbed. I mean, she was very she loved her husband dearly, but she didn't want him popping back and visiting and peering at her through the door viewer. So, you know, as I said, um, I'll, I'll take a look. And my first uh, an initial reaction was. And you need to see this because there's a man looking at me. <laughs> um, it was it, it was one of those chance uh, interactions between fungus and mold and dirt that was growing inside the inside the lens elements of the door viewer, um, combined with an off angle because these door viewers got this very fisheye effect where the lens is it's almost like a hemisphere, um, and there was a light that was in fact it wasn't visible in the viewer, but it was just. Uh, sort of catching the, the the tip of the lens, and um, it was you know uh, it, it's rather like the face of the man in the moon. I mean, obviously, I knew I was going to see. A, I was expecting that I might see a face of, a, of, or hoping perhaps even to see the face of a of a deceased husband in the door viewer, and blow me, there was, and I beckoned Dan over and said, uh, "Have a look there." But <laughs> but Anne and I have actually had quite a number of I, I, when I say quite a number I, I guess counted on the fingers of one hand experiences when we've been together that have left us without without any form of explanation um, even despite in some cases um, a lot of effort being put in to try to understand what we are what we had just experienced uh, I think most notably, we were on one of our day trips that we used to have before I moved away. We'd have these occasional days out to visit places of interest. And one of these was Gwydia Castle in North Wales. Um, and having survived being nearly burnt to death uh, <laughs> earlier in the day, Parasite's website, it's on there. Um, but... Uh, Anne and I had gone to Whittier Castle and we wanted, all we wanted to do was to photograph the haunted bedroom. But uh, the owners of the castle who forbid photography uh, were around and there was a sign saying that photography wasn't permitted, but we thought we'd, we'd just wait till they went back to their private quarters and we'd take a, um, a quick, a quick uh, snapshot. Uh, just, just yeah, just because we could, and we weren't going to do any harm. We didn't cross the the the, the barrier or anything. Um, and whilst we waited for the owners of the castle to ret- retreat back to their private quarters, there was uh, we were standing in the corridor outside, and there was an old staircase stairwell um, where the stairs, the stone stairs, had actually um, been taken away because they were they were unsafe. Um, but it allowed us a partial view to the, the floor above us. Uh, the main access to that floor was via another staircase about 20 or 30 feet away around a corner. And there was, uh, to the best of our knowledge at that time, uh, we were the only two people apart from the owners in the castle, except for the person who was walking around upstairs. Um, <laughs> directly, uh, and as Anne and I both looked up, 
um, to see who it might be, uh, we both saw the same bottom half of a person walking past the aperture at the top. And immediately, because we're good investigators, Anne and I, immediately didn't say anything to each other before we had uh, individually made notes about what had just happened. Um, and then we rushed upstairs to the upper floor, uh, to the floor above us, to verify it was in fact empty and the only exit bar walking past us for anybody on that floor would have been to have leapt 60 or 70 feet out of a very small window. So that was just one occasion where we were uh, confounded. So when you, when parascience and, and, and you both, the moving forces behind parascience uh, goes out on an investigation, it's not really to prove or disprove uh, ghosts or whatever or haunting. It's more to understand what's going on and what's affecting the witness. Well, that's the angle I come at it from. Um, people experience things and I'm extremely interested in knowing what those experiences are. Are they internal experiences? Are they external experiences? I'm not biased either way. I'm just nosy and interested and want to know what they are. Right. And, and Steve, I mean... Well, I mean, I, I, I've, I've said so often I didn't need to. Mine is... I, I could just refer to... Um, <laughs> Anna, you're not trying to stitch me here because that's a... I, it's, a, it's what I'm saying. <laughs> what, what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> no, Anna, Anna and I, when we set up Parasigns all those years ago after we got flung out of Wirral Paranormal Investigators um, for catching them cheating, we realised that there was only one way that we were ever going to satisfy our own curiosity, and that was to use the scientific method. The method that you know is taught at every high school, every secondary school in the UK, um, indeed, primary school. So, you know, this well-established way of understanding phenomena using scientific methods. Yeah, but everybody says that. You know, we're scientific-based. We're scientific. Yeah, but yeah, that's a mistake. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, science is not using technology. Absolutely not. I mean, you know, you see that there's there's a very clear demarcation with modern investigators between the psychic stuff, which is the Ouija boards, the table tipping, and the dowsing, and the science. Uh, members of the team who use audio recorders and night vision cameras and teddy bears stuffed with electronics. <laughs> yeah, that that is a, that is a very fundamental mistake. And I would say to anybody, uh, just remember what you were taught at school. Science is about asking questions and seeking answers, and there were there there are five basic steps to do that. You observe something or you hear about something. You consider what are you know what might be the causes. You can try to devise an experiment to test that. You look at the results of the experiment. You might reevaluate the question and do some more experimentation, and then you, you reach a conclusion. That's, that's science. That is science. That's all that science is. So let me, let me ask the both of you this, and Ian will go first and then and Steve, but when, when parascience goes on, and this is, you know, this is just a hypothetical, so just please bear with me. You, you get called in to do a case about a gentleman whose house is haunted, and he says every, every day at 6 o'clock he sits down to watch the telly, and he sees a ball of light go flashing through his living room and smash against the wall, and the room gets cold. 
he also smells strange things, and he thinks it's his uh, mother who had passed. So how would you guys handle the case? And, and I'd like to hear from Ann first. Well, the first thing is go and talk to him. Uh, get him to keep a diary uh, because he people remember things that happen and they can say, oh, that happens every day when it might not be. Um, so we need to get an actual idea of what's happening, when it's happening, how it's happening. So before just jumping in, we need that record of what's going on and we need to just talk to them and find out what's going on. Um, then we can come up with an idea about, well, it's something visual, so we'll have a look at what might be going on there. There's no, you know, or it's sound-based, so we need to look at what's going on there. Um, every single case you need to take on its own merits, and every single case will be different. There is, like Steve said, the scientific method you can apply to any case, but every case will be handled differently depending on what it is and who the person is. As you, you, you do have background in psychology, do, do you have questionnaires that you would ask him to try to understand his beliefs and so forth, to, if that has an impact on anything that's going on or what he's witnessing? I wouldn't straight away jump in and say, fill out this 500-page questionnaire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone wants that. Even the people who are trying to help me with my PhD didn't want that, but they had to anyway. Um, you, it all depends. People don't really take well to anything formal because at the end of the day we're not there to give them a psychological evaluation we're there to find out what they think has happened and what they're experiencing and going back to that terrible word ethics ethically I can't suddenly sit down and start giving them some sort of psychological review as part of it obviously if it looks like they may be having some sort of issue that might require psychological intervention. Again, I wouldn't necessarily do that because I'm not trained to do that. I might ask a colleague to come in with the permission of the clients and we might take it from there. But I certainly wouldn't just jump in. We have, we do have some questionnaires, um, but they're more about the experience than uh, okay, do you have deep psychological problems because at the end of the day um some people aren't really bothered by their ghosts they just want to know what it is and what's what's happening some people get a lot of comfort from them my dead partner comes back every night oh i can't believe we're in our time <laughs> it irks me is is that uh in you know it may not irk you but it does to me that some people will just for instance go medicines in the medicine cabinet and, and not even without without permission as well so I, that kind of thing really irks me and, and and so many other places you want to do investigating or, or an investigation they take the person who has witnessed uh, the thing and, and they remove them from the the environment which also is another thing that doesn't make sense to me a minute and a half do you want to quickly touch on that steve 
Oh, um, yeah. Sorry, I was just, um, I was just looking. I'm uh, bored uh, to death. Wow. No, no, yeah. no, absolutely not. I was, I was, I, I heard the pizza from the uh, from the dead, and I thought, and and got away with it there because um, Ron didn't ask me the same question because I would have given a very different answer, unlike my psychologically challenged uh, colleague. Uh, who, who very nearly com- com- committed a hex moment then <laughs> and gave me an easy in. <laughs> well, but I'm anyways, gonna withhold that. I'm gonna withhold that to another show. I, I'm afraid uh, we have to because we're out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, overall, on your your experience uh, of taping uh, in search of uh, Anne, what what was your? Well, how would you rate that? That was very enjoyable. Um, <laughs> I don't really like doing a lot of uh, media stuff, but I did quite enjoy doing that. Steve? Same as Anne. Um, I, it's a day out. Uh, it was a fun day out. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to rush to get myself on television anytime soon. Uh, but That's I wouldn't say, but I will, <laughs> obviously. And um, I wouldn't, you know, it, they're, they're good days out. They're, they're a break from the routine. Well, and I would heartily recommend anybody. This so anyways, we want to thank everyone for listening. Our special guest today has been Ann Winsper of Parascience and the new series In Search of, well, at least the Time Slip Edition. And until next time, uh, good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.